Welcome to The Voice of Retail. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc. This podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada. On this special expanded format episode of the podcast, I'm joined by two internationally recognized thought leaders in the digital marketing space to share their insights in back-to-back set of interviews. First, Greg Shelley, Vice President, Enterprise Digital Marketing at Canadian Tire Corporation, takes us inside the inner workings of one of the largest digital marketing teams in retail with a masterclass in structuring teams for the modern era, attribution, digital performance across platforms, and next-level accountability. Next, Michael Klein, Global Director, Industry Strategy and Marketing, Retail, Travel, and Consumer Goods at Adobe Systems, takes us through a 10,000-foot-level view of the state of digital marketing. He walks us through the systems and processes and delivers insights to the depth of reach that Adobe brings to consumers changing shopping patterns. It's a powerhouse episode, a little longer than usual, but more than well worth the listen. And I know for the listeners and subscribers, as the summer is finally here, this is the final Monday episode of the Voice of Retail podcast for the summer, now moving to weekly with Friday episodes for the balance of the summer. Greg, welcome to the Voice of Retail podcast. How are you doing this afternoon? It is great to be here, Michael. How are you? I'm, I'm fantastic. Thank you. I've uh, been looking forward to this for a while. You and I, we talked about how we met in the before time at an event, and uh, and we wound up on the mic here together. So, so, so great to talk to you. So thanks again for joining me. Yeah, it really is my pleasure to be here. It certainly was a different world back then, but you know what? Um, there's a lot to be positive about now, and, and looking yeah. around, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about things. Oh, fantastic. Well, listen, um, let's jump right in. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at Canadian Tire. So I'm Greg Shelley, Enterprise VP of Digital Marketing. And what that really means is there's three key areas of responsibility uh, that I that I have. Um, first off, uh, performance marketing, which is a function that we have in a team that's dedicated to driving sales demand to both bricks and mortar uh, and to our e-commerce channel uh, using digital and digital ads. And so we have we have a function there, and within there, a, a team that's actually dedicated to acquisition of new customers into our ecosystem, which is very exciting. Uh, We have uh, a second area of the business, which is our in-house digital uh, media agency. And we do all the buying and selling for all of our, we call them internal clients, uh, across our brand marketing teams, our loyalty groups, uh, CTFS, which is our financial arm. And uh, of course, you know, supporting all the banners. And um, and then the third key area that, that we're focused on and we're spending a lot of time on these days is our retail media business. And um, it's it's in its nascency, um, but we're really excited about the opportunity in front of us there. And we think we're really well positioned to do um, extremely well in the space. Um, but we are we are very much taking a very methodical approach to that one. And, and it's a small team today, but uh, we're excited for what the future holds. And what's your background? How did you get into digital? Did you did you always were you always digitally savvy or at least digitally curious or did you find your way into it because you were a performance marketer? How did how did you find your path? You know, it's an interesting story and 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 uh, to 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 make a very long story a short one. Um, I thought that my path was going to be in technology. Um, I did my Microsoft systems engineering. I thought definitely that was my path out of university. I took a job at Dell, um, which was, you know, exactly where I wanted to be. While I was there, this would have been in the early 2000s, I actually made a lateral move into the e-commerce department, which really was the start of my journey in digital. Eventually, that e-commerce profile uh, really did migrate into ads and started uh, a little bit of some of the on more on the media side, uh, started looking at demand generation and a lot of the partner relationships we had with the Intels and Microsofts of the world. Um, And I did that. That was that was my first gig. And um, what I realized uh, near the end of my time was I was very interested in what some of the subject matter experts did who would come and support our business. And I said, you know what, I, you know, I, I kind of want to go deep in an area and, and really get to know it. And so uh, eventually I left and I took an analytics job at McDonald's. Um, mm. Basically, we as a team and my, my accountability as senior manager there was business insights, marketing analytics, uh, demand planning and forecasting of products and optimizing um our promotional calendar alongside with marketing to make sure that um, the campaigns we were doing, that the products we were bringing to market were relevant 
and that we were driving lift in the business. And so that's where I really learned about how analytics and being data driven uh, can drive uh, such material results. And, and really, it's a different language you speak. And so I, I had a few fantastic years there. I think I was there about four years. And then, then I made the move to Canadian Tire. And that was done. Um, my mentor and great friend, uh, Jason Blanchett, he was, um, he was the one who had brought me into McDonald's. And he left to Canadian Tire just ahead of me. So you know how these things go. Yeah, we yeah. spoke you know, about opportunities over there. And within about a year, I'd gone to Canadian Tire. When I started there, I, I, I you know, really did start in a similar field uh, to what I was doing at McDonald's. And um, then fast forward, and they said, you know what? Um, the analytics uh, work has been good, uh, but we could really use your help in digital. And that's really how what got things started. And I think we were a team of... I think we had two people on marketing or digital marketing when uh, when we started on all the demand channels, and you know we've uh, we've grown that performance marketing function significantly and layered on, like I said, the in-house agency, and uh, we've grown that way. And now with the retail media side, we, we've had some real growth. So anyway, that's mm-hmm. that's the story of how I kind of came uh, to be uh, in the position I am. So thinking I was going to be in technology, I suppose I am in a way, and uh, just yeah, took yeah. a very different path to get there. Well, and, and of course, this podcast is not a history lesson, but for those who may not remember, I mean, Dell, you were talking about Dell. Dell was a powerhouse selling online. I mean, I remember full page ads with custom URLs. I mean, they were early leader, early pioneer in direct to consumer selling. So that's a great pedigree to bring to any background. You know, they, they did, they did uh, as the kids would say, bank <laughs> in terms of, you know, it's all a lot of units direct. Yeah. I bought a few, I bought a few of them myself. Yeah. Um, you know, for the, for the international audience, uh, cause there's no one in Canada who wouldn't know the answer to your question, but just describe Canadian tire a little bit. Cause you've talked about, uh, working at the enterprise level and you've talked about, so, uh, you know, a little, how many banners and, and, uh, I guess including that your scope of work does it cover all banners and all brands. Just give us a chalk the field for us a little bit. The, the reason why, why it is called Canadian tire is, the original store is about a hundred years old. Um, it's our, we're actually celebrating our hundredth anniversary yeah. this year. Got my coffee. Um, we have 500 locations of the Canadian tire, um, retail brand in Canada. And over the years we've begun to make acquisitions. So when we talk about enterprise, we talk about some of the acquired companies over the years, things like, um, so Canadian tire to describe Canadian tire clearly started with, tires and an automotive focus. Um, but what the, the founders had seen over time, uh, the Billis brothers, was that customers were typically on their way uh, on a vacation or doing whatever it is that life in Canada was all about. And they would catch these customers as they were preparing for their road trip and getting themselves ready. And they started to widen their assortment to meet the needs of their customers before they would go. And so we have, over the years, expanded um, the assortment. And, and now, actually, it's quite a wide offering across uh, anything that's living, fixing, playing, seasonal and gardening and automotive. So it's, it's, it's a store uh, that you walk in. It's a large store wide array of product but you know what canadians know what we're all about uh, yeah. and um it's a bit of a unique thing here i was sharing off mike that i'd uh, i was touring some australian retailers this weekend in toronto and of course uh, canadian tire is always on the stop and and you know they just they're just a little bit uh, how does it you know just wide-eyed when they walk in because there's nothing quite like it right i've heard it described as a European hypermarket for men, which isn't really a fair description either. <laughs> you know, I just started laying on them, you know, probably the biggest retailer of kitchen appliances. And they're like, what? It's Canadian Tire? Isn't it all automotive? Like, it, it really turns their heads around a little bit because there's nothing quite quite like it. So, yeah, so so that's the base foundation. And you were about to say, uh, also, we've got some banners that support it, right? Yeah. And, you know, over the years, there, there have been acquisitions that have made have been made. One of them is a um, is a, a sports retailer um, called Sportcheck. Um, that would be similar to your American audience for for a, a Dix, I suppose, would be the mm-hmm. closest comparable. Mm-hmm. Um, we have an industrial um, clothing retail a chain called um, Mark's. Uh, having said that, Marx has made quite a transition into more casual mm-hmm. apparel and uh, is doing extremely well at that. And uh, huge uh, owned brand penetration as well at that retailer. And so they have the best of national uh, brands and uh, quite a quite a booming own brand business as well. 
Wow. I've heard Mark sells more Levi's than anyone else in the country. Is that just a rumor? Is that, uh, can you validate no, that, that, that for me? Yeah. It, it sounds about you know, right. I can eh? definitely validate denim, but I would have to ask our president or one of our VPs over there about <laughs> Levi brand specifically. But I can tell you that from a denim perspective, we would be the largest in Canada. Right on. Okay. So about 1,700 units and all of these um, you know, sport check marks and Canadian Tire proper fall under your remit. And I guess that it's also the credit card business that's around it, right? So that all falls in under what your team oversees in terms of driving demand. Yeah. That's right. And so when you look at the bank, and, and that's a great example of another one of our, of our uh, you know, treasured assets, I suppose you would say, the, uh, the bank, uh, we have a credit card uh, through the bank, uh, as well as uh, uh, some other financial products that, that are available. And so it's a very, um, it's a wide swath of brands. Um, but you, our, our, our brand purpose is really, it's about making life in Canada better. And I think with the brands that we have and, and the way that we go to market, we're very true to our identity and we know the role we play. And so that has to come to life through the work at the end of the day. Right on. Let's talk about uh, how your team interacts with marketing and brand teams. Because what, what intrigues me and always has, you know, I've been part of, you know, single teams or shared service teams or common platform teams. Uh, how do you interact with uh, a little bit of your tradecraft, how you interact with brand marketing folks and how does this all roll up into what you do and uh, how you how you do it and and how, you know, in terms of performance metrics, how you're gauged and all and just how you get on at each and every day doing what you do? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great thing to ask because um, when you go and you start to go down the path of being an in-house service provider, it certainly changes the dynamic of how you you work with your peers. Um, for us, it was a good change. Um, the thing that, that we do that's a bit different would be because we are part of the, the corporation, when we're supporting our clients, I think the nature of the work shifts from being an outside consultant that maybe doesn't have the full picture of everything to we're able to bring opportunities based on the data, based on uh, mm -hmm. systems where, where if you were a third party, you wouldn't necessarily have access or privilege uh, for that type of data. And so what we're able to bring is a very, or what we have is a very tight partnership built around Really, what we understand what uh, the strategy of the business. Um, we understand uh, how the data comes together. We have the direct connections into other parts of cross-functional teams uh, to be able to make change happen. So, at the end of the day, um, it's a different working relationship when you start to support a brand team. But mm -hmm. we're all on the hook for NPS. We're all on the hook for brand health. We drive awareness and consideration and drive the value and the revenue opportunity chain together. And when, when uh, uh, you know, they miss, we miss. And when, when you know, we hit home runs, uh, they hit home runs, it's all the same team. So it's, it's a different relationship, um, but, it, but it's been very successful so far. And putting all that together allows you to get that scale, right? And you get you, you're able to hire the expertise that you need, right? Because that's a, that's I remember I had an internal team, and, and the challenge is I needed one analyst, and it's hard to hire one analyst because then you know what's the career path and all that stuff. So you, you get that scale by serving all the banners, right? And having that, as you said, that broad swath of, of responsibilities that must be helpful for you. Yeah? It's extremely helpful, and it, and it's a, everything very practical things like having the scale to support vacations, or if someone's on leave, or uh, you know if someone has an opportunity somewhere else in the company and wants to take a role. We have a steady pipeline of really impressive talent um, that that we're able to move into these roles, and it's not like they don't understand the company when they come in. And that's, right. that's what makes it work. And that's what makes us uh, very agile and, um, and able to sort of meet the needs of our client and also drive the outcomes that we're, at the end of the day, all sharing. Uh, we're all on the hook. Hmm. Um, so you said something really interesting, I guess it's just part of your day-to-day -day life, but you serve both performance for the physical stores and for online e-commerce. Now, online e-commerce is a little more, I guess, straightforward, kind of, sort of. Um, but talk about this, you know, in this increasingly hybridized retail environment, you know, the attribution riddle. I mean, everyone, what drove what kind of stuff. That must be 
really complicated given all the moving parts of what happens to the, some, someone at the tire. They walk in the door, you know, they, they decide they're going to do a curbside or they buy it online or vice versa. Like, how do you connect those dots to understand performance along those two lines? Or, or do you just see it as one harmonized result? How do you, how do you look at that? Yeah, I think I think we we definitely don't see it as one harmonized result. We have to treat uh, we have to be customer centric, um, and and that might sound generic, but I'll I'll unpack it a bit because the actually you know what maybe one more history lesson. I know we talked a little bit about the hundred year old <laughs> retailer. But one more history lesson, and that's yeah. the uh, the Canadian Tire Money Program. So um, for your international audience, if you uh, forever, I believe. It's probably 60 years uh, at least where we've had paper money that you get uh, printed by the Canadian Mint. Uh, I should also footnote. Um, and so when you would get change from the cashier, they would give you some Canadian tire money. It's a, it's, it, and it was an early form of a loyalty program. Not uncommon in Canada for most households, or at least a lot of them, to have shoeboxes full of Canadian Tire money. I'm That's sure right. I still have a dollar or two in my glove box of any car I've ever had. I mean, it's. I came it's, across a full dollar the other day myself, and that was pretty. Uh, <laughs> that, that that that's a good one to have. Hey, you know what, though, it is interesting though because it is a. It really does exemplify what Canadian Tire is and and how penetrative we are now yeah. um, in the Canadian market. And and so fast forward. Because the question is about attribution. So we digitized that program um, in 2012, I want to say. And what that gave us was uh, a rich data set. And we started to understand uh, customers and individuals and how behavior uh, of how customers shopped us, what categories they liked, who was spending and where. As a digital marketer, uh, that becomes very valuable information. It allows us to unpack a lot of things. Um, and probably one of the, if not the biggest uh, benefit on a campaigning perspective, uh, if you think of it from, from a corporation uh, perspective, is the ability to expose and control uh, customers uh, to ads. And being able to look at the omni-channel picture is provided through our loyalty program. So that really lets us start to say, what happens uh, from our search ads? What happens from social media? What happens when we do X or Y? And when you connect that capability with an agile operating model, and a, that could be a little a agile, um, really what you get is uh, an iterative uh, approach to getting better every day using a very customer-centric um, approach to campaigning. And we can talk dollars and cents uh, as it relates. And we can talk about incremental uh, as a result of our ads, uh, moving away from the years of talking about clicks and impressions and mm, things mm. like that, that, that listen, still matter. Mm -hmm. But when you're able to convert that to a conversation internally and you start talking about the dollars and cents that you made incrementally and margin, uh, it's a very different conversation. And so... We are able to, at this point now, coming right back to your question, if we want to understand the impact of a certain activity on e-commerce, it just becomes a, an exercise of setting up the experimentation um, to isolate on a variable and being able to understand what the impact is. And so that's very much, I would say, in our DNA as, a, as an operating group. And it doesn't always, I mean, it can be brand lift. It can be anything you want. It doesn't have to be always about transactions and revenue. And frankly, um, we are, we, you know, we have one, you know, a, a customer that shops multiple brands is still just one customer. And we need to understand that customer and understand how they shop us and why they shop us. And the more we unpack that stuff, the more we understand Canadians, the better the results are and the better the experiences. And so we've just been very focused on that. Yeah, fantastic. Now, within your team, within your role, within what you do every day, is I, let's talk about the blend of art and science. Is there is there role for, um, you know, the the kind of instinct or judgment? Of course, there's role for judgment. But talk about this art and science, or is it all just mostly analytics and the and the numbers and the numbers play out? How does how does that actually work in your team, and how do you think about that? Yeah, I think I think what it is 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 
Technology, um, I think sometimes people make the mistake thinking that when they are procuring technology, they are, they are procuring a silver bullet. And the truth is there is no silver bullet. You need to understand what problems you are solving for or what, what is the outcome that you are looking to achieve um, with your ad dollars, with your uh, brand messages of any kind. They can be on site. They can be anywhere they are. Uh, but I think what it comes down to is the creativity will come through understanding what it is you're trying to solve and then looking at the solutions, right? And so it might not be hunch where we ran a campaign and my hunch is that it was really good, but it might be a hunch that says, hey, we have this segment of customers um, that have done X or Y and we need to do something special for them and we need to treat them differently or we need to show them something. Um and I think that that's kind of where it's been. And I think where all that is going is, is clearly technology is going to solve for some of that, um, where you're, where you're saying, you know, there are, um, you know, decision engines and things of that nature where, where you're literally talking ML and AI, but you still have to point them at a problem and you still have to develop your use cases based on what's important to your customers and what's important to you as an organization. And so, that's where the hunch comes in. And that's where the, the creativity will continue. Um, it's not going to be necessarily my hunch is that a, that campaign was great, but it will be, there are areas of huge value here and wins to be had and having the right judgment to know what to do first and when and how to go about it. And I think it's just a different shape of creativity, but, um, you know, and what's being asked of that individual, but the tools are just going to be so much more powerful. Well, it's a nice segue to talk about uh, tools. Uh, Michael Klein will be on uh, the back part of this podcast from Adobe. So tell me about your marketing tech stack and, and uh, does Adobe have a role, what role that has and, and all the different, uh, you know, building that tech stack is pretty proprietary stuff, but just give me a sense of, of what you work with and what kind of tools uh, impress you. Yeah, no, I, I, and I think that's a, that's a great topic. You know, we use Adobe. Adobe is a phenomenal partner of ours at, at CTC. We use them. Um, we just replatformed uh, our Canadian Tire website uh, with Adobe. And I noticed. Using, I noticed, by the way, as a user, all of a sudden it changed and my store changed. I like it. I like it a lot. It, it's uh, congratulations again to you and the team. As a user, yeah. Well, I, I, you know, personally, I can't take any credit for that one, but those are those are my uh, my partners in crime that that I work day in and day out with, and they've been mm-hmm. working very hard on this for <laughs> no for doubt. quite some time. It's a beast. Um, yeah, and so uh, experience man- Adobe Experience Manager uh, mm-hmm. was our solution there, and 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 being on um, uh, the right cloud platform to be able to give us the scalability when we need it, uh, reliability, and at the same time integrating everything we've learned about our customers and the experience improvements we've frankly made. Um, our websites come light years um, over the last few years. Uh, really coincides with, I, w- I will call it uh, our obsession on monitoring, on getting feedback, on making uh, changes. And it's, it, it's every day I go to work, I'm still just blown away by mm. how quickly uh, we're able to move when it comes to addressing any points of customer friction or insights or feedback we get where we need to do something differently. It's unbelievable to to see the the engine that that uh, that, that that we've built collectively. It's it's a it's a it's a really um, it's it's a very exciting time. Right on, right on. Well, let's uh, let's turn in our uh, minds the last couple of questions to advice. So, advice to the digital marketers listening to folks who do your role or aspire to perhaps build a team like yours um two starts one stop also you know what they should leave behind for 2022 and what they should start doing but how do you how do you think about based on your experience and you know what we've just been through from a covid era digital acceleration and all that stuff two things they should probably start doing and maybe one thing that they should leave behind and and stop doing yeah i think i think that is you know we could talk we could do um I don't know how many episodes on the lessons learned through COVID, uh, um, but I will say a few simple things. I think um, first and foremost, it's always important to do your own math. Um, the When it comes to someone who might promise you some sort of performance uh, or an increase in, in ROI or whatever it is, 
if you don't have a basis for doing your own evaluation, um, you know, it becomes very difficult to, to sort of understand uh, what's real, uh, what, what, what's the smoke and what's the mirror. Um, mm-hmm. When you have data that's accessible and you have the talent to, uh, and the teams to be able to, to interpret the data and make, uh, make uh, whether it be an analysis and you can do your own math, like I said, or, or, or pull insights, um, being able to do that in-house uh, just makes you a much uh, smarter client and leads you down the right path gener- more than not. So I'd say, you know, first and foremost, do your own math. And if that's not a capability you have, if you struggle with understanding um, whether it be did that campaign, yeah, it looks great in Google Analytics, did it deliver anything incremental to the business or would we have all had that, would we have had those sales mm-hmm. anyway? You know, those are the kind of questions that you want to be able to answer. Yeah, and so, yeah. And, and so I think that that's, that, that, that's, um, that's one thing. And I think, uh, you know, one of the dependencies to be able to do that leads me to my second point, which I'd say it's really important to build out your own ecosystem of experiences and capture, um, uh, capture the, uh, the user event. And, and essentially whether that be a, a sign in, uh, uh, an opt in, whatever that might be, being able to have a direct line to the consumer and being able to start to segment your customers, uh, is critical. If you're not doing that, really what you're doing is talking to everyone in the exact same way. Mm. And, you know, you're different than I am. You're going to be uh, shopping for barbecue parts probably. And I'm going to be <laughs> in there. Maybe I'm looking at brake pads because uh, I, I have a car that's going to need uh, a service coming up soon. And I like to do that in my driveway. Mm. The, what's going to make or break us uh, as an industry, um, not specific to CTC, but as an industry is going to be the ability for uh, digital marketers to be able to make that leap. Um, to be able to, um, to, to control and the data, to, to respect privacy, uh, and at the same time, continue to drive uh, yourself forward. And in a world where uh, cookies are going away and in a world where mm-hmm. privacy is being protected, uh, you know, whether it's through legislation or technology like Apple, um, yeah. it's the direction it needs to go. Um, but at the same time as a marketer, it's okay. Well, that actually makes us have to up our games. And so, um, build your own ecosystem, uh, of whether it be IDs, opt-ins, app users, um, get an ecosystem of data, pull it together and start getting insights and start to treat your customers differently because they're all individuals and don't rely on a third party to do it. Um, you're going to have to, though that that's your data. Mm. Um, it's actually the customer's data and they've trusted you with it. And it's just so important to, to do the right things with it. But it's also the upside is enormous uh, from a business and an opportunity perspective. So it's, it's a win-win for the consumer and for the, for the business. It's just, it's, it's going to be a high bar for, for some to get to. And that's why I, I recommend start now. Yeah. You know, the, uh, Best time to plant a tree 20 years ago, right? Next best time is today. Um, that's exactly what, that's exactly <laughs> it, right? And so just, never just too get late. started never if late. you're not. Yeah, never too late. Now, for something maybe that you, you're no longer doing that uh, maybe you know, technology or experience has proved doesn't work, any advice around what folks should stop doing as they think about I think we have uh, to break down the silo between traditional teams and digital teams. I think mm-hmm. we have to mm-hmm. break down well, silos between upper funnel and lower funnel. Like... You have to understand your customer and start there. And does that customer know you? Do they not? Do you know what they like? Um, do you, are they already telling you what they want? Um, I think, I think we have to stop thinking about channels, uh, like we do. I think we have to think about each customer, each segment, each whatever it might be. And have teams that are looking at those segments and watching them and thinking about them in a omni-channel, multi-channel, traditional, digital, everything I just said. Um, I think that's the leap. And I think digital, back when we were talking about the early days and pioneering things, it made a lot of sense Mm -hmm. to get a digital team. It was like this alien thing that people were doing. (laughs) 
Well, you had now to evangelize. Just, I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of reasons you needed it, right? I mean, um, from from you know evangelizing to and you know inculcating that type of DNA into the rest organization. But those days are probably, you know, they should be long gone. Yeah. Yeah, and and they should be. And I think I think if you're still planning by channel, like, and there's a difference between having tactical plans where we have to, you know, anticipate how much we're going to be spending in channels. But if we lead with that, we're missing the boat. You have to, you have to start with the customer and then build the strategies around them. And it should include, I mean, I'm a digital person uh, by, by trade. The power of traditional is still there. There is, there is massive Mm -hmm. value to be had in traditional channels. So really it's, you can't just think about even, you know, I'm a digital marketer, traditional marketer. It's, it is, it is, that is the leap. I think that's what we have to stop doing. And I think we have to really shift and I keep saying it, but you know, my teams will say, Oh my God, you're a broken record, but it's true. We have to become customer centric. And that's more than just a guiding principle that is, should be foundational to how you plan and how you go to market. Operating principle, right? Now you're, you, I mean, anybody listening to this in the digital space should be pretty excited at this point about what you're doing now. It, uh, I'm sure in one way, it's not hard to hire people with such a great uh, mandate. And the other, it's always hard to hire the right people. Any open positions? Kind of the mic is yours. Should they go uh, seek out uh, opportunities? Are you looking for folks? Just since we've got a nice audience, any, any, uh, any opportunities? Yeah, well, right there? we're going to have some, some postings um, around retail media um, and various capacities as that's a, a growing and expanding area um, as well in our performance marketing and uh, ad ops areas. Uh, we have openings um, coming on board for, so if you want to be in a performance marketing role and start to understand um, the cause and effect of digital ads uh, and understanding how to move audiences around and measuring outcomes and all those sorts of good things. We have a performance marketing um, role that will be live. I'm hesitating to tell you the the title as we're still sort of figuring some uh, last minute details, but um, yes, there's going to be a performance marketing role on, on our master brand coming up as well as um, like I said, operations roles in uh, social and, uh, and, and potentially search and things like that. So there's always something on the go. It's such a vibrant space. It's a growing space. Uh, you can always check us out on our website at CanadianTire.ca. Uh, there's, a, there's a link at the bottom to go to our corporate site, and you can, you can look up those postings. I'm on LinkedIn. You can also uh, yeah. add me or, or send me a message, uh, Greg Shelley. You'll find me there. And as well, uh, greg.shelley at cantire.com if you want to reach out with a resume or any questions for me. And I'm happy to, uh, happy to, happy to field those. Well, Greg, that's a very generous offer, and, and uh, thanks so much for joining me on The Voice of Retail. It's a great discussion. I think we could have several discussions like this because it's such a broad-reaching, interesting topic, and, and you're really doing very forward-leaning stuff. So congratulations to you and the team on uh, just the work you're doing, just by listening to your description. And uh, once again, thanks for joining me on The Voice of Retail podcast. It was a real treat to chat. Yeah, had a lot of fun. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate the invitation. Michael, welcome to the Voice of Retail podcast. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing well, Michael. How are you? I'm I'm fantastic. Thank you. Now, uh, whereabouts am I finding you today? I think you're on the West Coast, right? Yes, I am a transplanted New Yorker based in the San Francisco Bay Area, mm-hmm. uh, specifically in Oakland, California, uh, in the hills here. Wow. So would you ever go back? Like, do you like the lifestyle? Would you ever go back? I mean, they're two very different lifestyles in one way. What do you think? Uh, I get that question asked quite often. Uh, I go back quite a bit for both personal and professional reasons. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I don't think I would go back full time. Uh, I -hmm. I enjoy visiting, but I also enjoy coming back to the West Coast and opening up my sunroof and driving back from the airport. So yeah, uh, but I I love the energy of uh, New York and growing up there, but I don't see myself living there full time again. All right. Well, listen. Uh, thanks again for joining me. Let's uh, let's jump right in and uh, tell me a bit about uh, yourself and uh, what you do for a living. What you do at Adobe? Yeah, I often will always uh, talk about that. I am a, a merchant by trade. I grew up in the retail industry, 
started on the shop floor in New York City for some well-known food retailers, uh, Dean and DeLuca, Balducci's, uh, and then had fortunate to be working for other great brands, Williams-Sonoma, Wine.com, uh, worked side-by-side -side with Chuck Williams actually for quite a while uh, editing cookbooks. And for the past uh, 14 years, I have now been on the tech side of the world. Uh, specifically, I'm the global director of industry strategy for retail traveling consumer goods at Adobe Systems. Uh, what that means is that I'm responsible for Adobe's point of view and messaging in those three industries of commerce, uh, retail travel, consumer goods. So, I've been really fortunate to be part of the journey we've been on for the past 10 plus years. I guess it's a different world pre-COVID versus today. You you probably travel or fly a lot less than you used to, yeah? Uh, with, without a doubt. Uh, I, I, I am on calls at all hours of the day in the mm -hmm. evening. Mm -hmm. uh, and I used to travel quite a bit, probably almost 50% of the time. Wow. I, I do miss that, some of that travel, but... Uh, I am focused on North America uh, with a, a global remit on, uh, you know, making sure that what we're doing here in North America is being adapted by our our different uh, industries and sure. and vice versa across right? the globe. And vice versa, right? Best practices kind of travel around and. Oh yeah, definitely. We mm -hmm. uh, we have hubs uh, in Australia, uh, London, all over the world, and. Yeah. Uh, always collaborating with my partners in all parts of the globe. Yeah. Do you, do you look in your trade craft, do you look to Europe to try to forecast how privacy is going to roll out? Cause obviously privacy has a big impact on how you design and think about uh, the work you do. Well, certainly GDPR was a, a leader, uh, before we had, uh, the uh, all these acronyms, the CCPA, right, right. Uh, you know, so uh, yeah. the California, right? California, California the the Consumer Privacy Act, yeah, was a offshoot from the GDPR that was implemented in in Europe. Uh, yeah, we we certainly see different nuances even within the European Union of mm. how folks are looking at privacy, what they're willing to share, what they're not willing to share. Yeah. Uh, how that leads into personalization and the experiences that one can deliver. So, um, you know, I, I would certainly say that we are keeping an eye out first and foremost to what is happening in, in Europe and uh, how that's affecting some of the privacy governance issues that we're seeing crop up and consumer sensitivity to how mm -hmm. data is used. Right, right on. So um, let's talk about Adobe just for a few minutes. I mean, there's nobody listening to this who wouldn't know Adobe. They might, <laughs> they might just know it as uh, the, the purveyor of their PDFs. But more importantly, uh, tell us a little bit about the scope and scale of, of Adobe and how you connect to the retail industry. Yeah, that is uh, – oh, it, it, I don't have to explain as much as I, I did 10 years ago that <laughs> I'm not the Photoshop guy. Uh, so, yes, Adobe has been changing the world through digital experiences for over 35 years. Uh, we're not far away from our 40-year anniversary. Um, and uh, we acquired two companies uh, back in – 2007 and then 2009, uh, first a company called Scene7, which is a dynamic media and content solution. And then where I came from was Omniture, the acquisition that we Adobe made in 2009 mm, right. of the leading digital analytics solution. Uh, so ever since then, we have been building out our digital experience side of the business, which is one of our three major clouds, the other being the creative cloud, which is where everybody thinks about us first and foremost yeah. when it comes to Photoshop, InDesign, Illustrator, et cetera, and some other yeah. video I got a, capabilities. I've got a subscription to it myself. I, uh, it's very useful for just, you know, taking care of my PDFs and doing fun stuff. Yeah, with, so yeah. yeah well, we're, we're all in the cloud now. So, uh, mm -hmm. What uh, a revolution, right? What yeah. a revolution, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, when I first joined, we were still selling box software. 
Yeah. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> on-prem box software, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 if anybody has any of that box software out there, you should hold on to it because it's <laughs> probably like very, this. very val- valuable. It's a collector's item. Collector's uh, item. Build, yeah. build, you, build yourself a, uh, a table out of it in uh, Adobe offices once you go back to the office. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, for the past 10 years since the, that acquisition, 10 plus years in 2009, we have really been focused on building out our experience business for the enterprise, which is the foundation of digital con- uh, uh, content, the analytics piece, uh, the, uh, the orchestration of marketing and offers, and really helping mm. retailers in particular, and as well as all the other industries, really understand what it means to drive great experiences for enterprise and SMB businesses. Uh, and we're very well entrenched mm-hmm. in retail. We measure 80 of the top 100 internet mm-hmm. retailers, businesses from a digital analytics perspective and, right. uh, you know, very well entrenched in uh, building out their uh, experiences for websites, mobile, kiosks. Uh, even if you walk down hmm. uh, the strip in Vegas uh, and you see large billboards, some of that is actually being uh, run and managed by Adobe mm-hmm. Technology. Well, I, you know, speaking of which, we just listened to an interview with Greg Shelley from uh, Canadian Tire talking about uh, his world of enterprise digital campaign management. So uh, I guess we should call that out as a as a great client. Uh, and, and big announcements with Canadian Tire lately, right? Putting $3.4 billion. Boy, what a, what a, what a badge of uh, confidence in the future of retail. So, uh, you know, couldn't think of a better timing for... Uh, for our discussion that was uh we're recording this uh mid mid march um that's my phone sorry so so let's let's talk about uh, so let's talk about uh, a couple of things in specific and then we'll get to some things in general so i was looking at a couple of reports that you sent me and i'll put links into these reports and the first one i want to talk about is um the report that was done just kind of a look back at holiday 2021 so i don't want this to be a history lesson but I'm wondering if uh, you could share, just specific to that report, uh, any insights that you think are valuable to the listeners, to the retailers listening, that they should take forward to 2022. I mean, you know, we are all wondering a little bit about exactly how many lessons can I learn from these strange COVID years. You know, like in, you know, here in, in Canada, we had a lot of retailers pull the business very aggressively forward into November, purposely, you know, do very, very different things from a from a flyer perspective you know they weren't sure they were going to get their items so they had they, they you know they, they they left a bit of money on the table some of them because they couldn't have that kind of certainty of having the flyer items and all that kind of stuff and relied more on digital but if we sit back and say okay out of all that from what you observed from what adobe observed from all their many clients what what lessons should should retailers take forward as i think about holiday 2022 yeah i think uh, first as you as you indicated michael uh, we talked a lot about uh, the tale of three seasons and the lengthening out. We, we've often talked about Cyber Week or Cyber Days with uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday here in the U.S. And I know Thanksgiving is uh, a little bit earlier in Canada than it is here in the United States. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. Uh, as we think about the the 61-day time period from November 1st through December 31st, uh, we certainly see uh, a a big shift in consumer dollars going earlier in the season uh, and consumers making sure that fear of missing out, the FOMO, that they're not going to get that great item that they were looking for for their kids or their family members or loved ones, co-workers, whatever it may be, that they're making sure they're, and also hearing from the media, certainly on yeah, yeah. Uh, the supply chain issues that we're all well aware of that, that are happening out there. So the ability to make sure that you're in position with inventory early, uh, we typically, that report that you've indicated historically has run November 1st through December 31st. Uh, we did that again this year, but I would envision in future years that we're probably going to start to open the aperture and start to include some of the October hmm. numbers as well in our holiday report because people are getting out there both on the consumer 
as well on the brand side uh, sooner, earlier than they have ever in the past. So do we learn from that? And you think that's going to stick around? I mean, 2022 is probably, well, now definitely, thanks to the, the war in the Ukraine, another complicated year in supply chain. But you think that that's a habit that's going to stick? Because, you know, if you and I cast our minds back, you know, when you and I were, you know, 10 years ago, December was a big month. E-commerce, these other things have moved it. But you think that's a permanent shift to this, this bring forward of sales? Or do you think at some point it might normalize? I mean, I don't know. We're trying to make up history as we go here. What do you think? I don't. I don't think it's going to completely go back to where it was beforehand in, in any way, shape, or form. I uh, we had already been seeing a little bit of this shift occur, uh, and certainly the current situation with supply chain and uh, pricing, availability of raw materials as well as finished goods that may. Uh, be alleviated a bit as we come into 2022 holiday season. However, mm-hmm. I think we've all become a little bit more conditioned to uh, making sure that well, we have that item. And we've been tracking out of stock, uh, seeing 5X increases in out of stock messages over the past few years. Right. So, uh, you know, it, it may not be as drastic as it has been, but I, I don't see us going back to uh, previous years where December was so heavily loaded and yeah. we're going to see that shift continue ever so slightly. I tell you, I wouldn't have called that, you know, five years ago. Wasn't That wasn't a space on my bingo card where I would have said, you know, consumers are going to be bum- become better planners and less ad hoc because I thought, and it may pan out this way that, you know, as you get to same day, next day, internet experience, efficiency, delivery, consumers are just going to keep waiting. But it's not kind of, you know, for a whole bunch of reasons, not not exactly panning out this way. It kind of surprised me. Yeah, I think the other thing which we certainly have seen is not just the supply chain issue of the materials, but the bottleneck and the uh, other than a few Retailers, uh, obviously Amazon in particular, that are promising fast fulfillment, but whether it's United Postal Service, United, you know, UPS, Federal Express, uh, Canadian Post, all of the different uh, fulfillment options, they're also seeing their own bottleneck. I mean, here in my neighborhood, I, I see... United parcel trucks running at nine o'clock mm. at night during the holiday yeah. season. And, yeah. you know, those guys have to go home at some point in time in the day and there's only mm. so much that can go on the truck. So it's not just the, the materials, but it's also the carriers and mm-hmm. can they actually get that product to you? Uh, I think it's also kind of dovetails quickly into the numbers that we see, the increase in buy online, pick up in store right, right. Uh, as we get closer to Christmas, because while somebody may promise that they're going to get you an item in two days or 48 hours, whatever it may be, 24-hour instant delivery, that, uh, that we may not always trust that. So being able to recognize inventory and then be able to get in the car and go to the physical location and pick yeah. up an item. Particularly uh, around certainly... the holidays, right? I mean, it's a gift, right? So, you know, it's particularly what we used to call in the, in, in the retail trade, trip assurance. I know I'm going to get it. All right, let's talk about this Digital Insights 2022 report that you wrote. Uh, clearly, we see from the report, and I'll make the report, uh, I'll put a link into it in the show notes, you know, surge of digital, we'd all know that, all kinds of new customer journeys. And um, I'm trying to figure out as many are from that report, kind of a similar question as holiday, you know, what, what can we take from that report looking at current behaviors during the COVID era that we can say, yep, those behaviors are now set. We can expect those to happen again. What, what, what were your insights about that? Yeah, the first thing I'd want to call out is mobile. Uh, and it also kind of ladders back to some of the data we saw in the holiday report. And maybe I'll first cover, cover that off real quickly before I segue into what we saw in the digital trends report. So we, we had made certain assumptions when work from home COVID really started setting in that the desktop would have somewhat of a resurgence in Mm -hmm. terms of Mm -hmm. the 
trends that we had been seeing for a few years beforehand that folks would be on their desktop more, they'd be transacting more on desktop. And actually, we saw the opposite occur. A desktop held a little bit flat, if not started to continue to lose ground to the mobile device. We now see over 40% of revenue going through a mobile device where mm. uh, we already had Eclipse traffic, over 60% of traffic is going through the mobile device. And I, I always talk about mobile being the perfect bridge between the online and the offline space, being able mm. to go from the, the home. Uh, we also know, I think there's a lot of statistics, not our data, that Folks are working from home. They're in front of their laptops eight, nine, ten hours a day, and they're basically sick of it. They don't. They want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when nighttime comes around and I'm sitting on the couch, I don't have want to have my laptop. So we see a lot of commerce happening in the mobile space, even with this whole work from home, COVID, shelter in place uh, that we've had to deal with over the past couple of years. So mobile is continues to be a really important space, I believe, uh, as we go forward, because that's where consumers are going to continue to look for their commerce. Uh, we also know uh, the devices are getting better. The speed is getting better. Right, right. Uh, Payment, payment's getting better, right? Payment is getting better. You used to pay- need three arms to pay on a mobile device, right? Um, well, yeah, and you can do it one click. I think yeah. Apple Pay is a great example of that. So when we had our study, we asked, where are you investing? And mobile applications for in-store shopping come out as one of the top, as the top area uh, for retailers of how they're going to uh, improve their mobile experience. Contactless payment, number two, social commerce. Uh, I'm, I'm also guilty of this myself where... Mm-hmm. I'll be on Instagram, and they certainly have enough information about me that uh, I'm, I'm having more impulse sales probably than ever before when <laughs> it comes to uh, social commerce. Mm. So those are some of the areas, the, the contactless payment, the ability to self-service more than ever before. Uh, yeah. Mobile is certainly center of that, uh, center of that experience. Yeah. So it's intriguing what you, you actually a good segue, you know, as, a, as I think about your personal experience that you were just relating about shopping, you know, from Instagram as you're buying old Adobe boxes that used to be on-prem and building furniture from them or whatever you're doing. Um, I think about the fragmentation of the customer journey that has gotten worse, not better or more fragmented. Would you agree? And, and what's your advice to retailers about how to think about that? I don't know if, if I would use the word fragmented. Uh Myself, it's a, it's disjointed, right? Maybe they're synonymous mm. there, mm. Uh, and it's all over the place. There is no longer a, a linear customer journey that we had beforehand that was very easy to track. And customer journeys are starting online. They're starting offline. They're starting, as you pointed out, through social media. So the and the, the holy grail for retailers these days is how do I make sure that when I have a consumer in front of me, how do I deliver an experience to them online or offline that is as personalized as, as possible? How do I speak to them in their voice and make sure that Hmm. if I'm in a grocery situation or grocery store or grocery retailer, I'm not showing meat products to a vegetarian Right. Uh, um, I'm, I'm showing products for the right gender in an apparel setting. You know, as retailers, we've been trying to do. We've been trying to do this for years. Are you surprised at how long it took, or is it? Is it? It's. It's just really complicated. But do you think we'd be farther along from where we are today? It sounds like the tools that you're bringing to the retailer are, are really helping advance the the cause. They are helping, but the challenge is, to your point, is bringing together the the data, the unification Mm. of that experience and bringing together online and offline data is a huge challenge. I think also how enterprises and organizations are uh, put together, 
uh, what is uh, a center of an excellence look like, or are we still siloed off between the online and the offline space? We see improvements in that area, but you know, in our other research, we understand now that less than half of retailers that we're speaking to are personalizing more than 50% of the customer journey going from awareness through to retention. Hmm. And part of the challenges there is not only the technology and the data, but it's how they've set themselves up organizationally. Hmm. And the email team may be working on their programs and personalizing or giving great experiences through email, but are they actually connected uh, organizationally, process uh, strategically yeah. Yeah. across the in-store people as well? And uh, we see the one the customers that we're working with that are doing this well have some of this under control. They they've put in the center of centers of excellence. They've created a roadmap and a strategy that looks at the unified customer profile and uh, you know without getting into the technology, investing in data lakes and customer data platforms hmm. to be able to really bring that data together and democratize it across the enterprise. All right, last question for you. Looking at the report and from what you know, and you talk to a lot of retailers, um, talk about from the retail perspective, whether it's organization-wise, process technology-wise, advice around priorities. You know, where should they spend their last dollar of, of budget and their last minute of time? What's, what's in your mind is the number one priority is it is it this organizational piece teach and train and get that down and and then let the technology the great technology take care of it from there uh the first thing i would say is having a bit of self-awareness what i mean by that is uh, we have been in in the world of retail uh, we have been dealing with commerce e-commerce for more than 20 years yeah. Uh, going back to the mid-90s when things really started to take shape in terms of online commerce. Uh, so everybody in this space is at a different part of their journey. And I think there needs to be a clear, and we saw this in, in our personalization study, because what the challenges that grocers are having are different than the challenges than a general merchandise or a big, big box retailer may have. Hmm. Because grocers for so many years were relying upon the physical space. They had the luxury of over 95% of their business going through the physical store. And they didn't really think that this digital thing was going to be as big of their business as it has grown to today and will continue to grow. So the first thing I would say is really have a clear understanding of where you are in this journey Do you have the foundation of data and content in place in order to have a unified profile and a customer experience? And alongside of it, uh, the people part of this, we always talk about people, process, and technology, but really understanding the people internally and externally. And again, going back to crawl, walk, run, Hmm. don't try to do everything. Uh, what are the basic use cases that are going to drive my business? What is that low-hanging fruit? And really understand what the low-hanging fruit is that uh, is going to drive the needle. And sometimes it's as simple as uh, suppressing marketing or uh, going in, getting a better per, uh, optimization of internal search on a mobile device because that's Hmm. Uh, a key use case for many retailers. So uh, self-awareness, clear use cases of how I'm going to grow the business and organizational structure, I think, are some of the key areas that retailers need to be thinking about um, as they go on this journey. Well, all right. It's great advice, uh, Michael. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, last last question, I guess, is where can folks get in touch? Are you LinkedIn guy and and where can they go and find uh, insights from uh, from adobe so yes i am uh, i'm on linkedin uh, i'm also on twitter as klein the number four retail klein for retail 
And then, of course, we have uh, a ton of great content on adobe.com in our industries and retail section, whether it's the reports we've discussed today, as well as customer case studies. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today, Michael. I appreciate uh, being able to join you today. All right. Well, once again, thanks for joining me on The Voice Retail, and I wish you uh, uh, continued success and a great rest of your day. Thanks. Have a great 22. Thanks for tuning into this special episode of The Voice of Retail. If you haven't already, be sure and click and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so new episodes will land automatically twice a week. And check out my other retail industry media properties, The Remarkable Retail Podcast, Conversations with Commerce Next Podcast, and The Food Professor Podcast with Dr. Sylvain Charlebois. Last but not least, if you're into barbecue, check out my all-new YouTube barbecue show, Last Request Barbecue, with new episodes each and every week. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc, president of Emmy LeBlanc Company and Maven Media. And if you're looking for more content or want to chat, follow me on LinkedIn or visit my website at emmyleblanc.co. Have a safe week, everyone.